Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Cafecito con Estrellita. Now, let's get into today's episode. All right, hola mi gente. Welcome back to Cafecito con Estrellita. I hope you're doing well this week. I've missed you and I'm not just saying I today, we've missed you. And we're so, so, so excited to have you on today's episode. Now, before I just keep talking, because you all know I love to talk, the reason why I'm saying we is because we have a very special guest. We have Giovanna Gonzalez, the creator, founder, financial educator, just amazing first-gen Latina for the first-gen mentor platform. Now, I'm a huge fan of Gigi, always have been since 2020, but again, I talk a lot, so I'm just gonna pause myself and turn the mic on over to Giovanna so she can go ahead and share about herself. Hi, Estrella. Oh my God, you're so sweet. And I don't know if you remember I told you this, but you inspired me to make first-gen content. Yeah, so I always give you your flowers for that because your content was more about like academia and like keep pushing, keep paving the way. Um, and I mean, I already knew the importance of first gen, but I was also like, oh, there's first gen voices out here on TikTok. So you really, really inspired me. But um, for anybody that doesn't know me, hi, everybody. My name is Giovanna. A lot of people know me as Gigi or the first gen mentor. And I'm a former investment professional turned uh, TikToker let's see, speaker, and now author of Cultura en Cash. <laughs> no, of course. And all of you, if you're not already following Gigi at The First Gen Mentor, please make sure that you are. I definitely had to plug that in because I'm telling you, I'm just mm -hmm. a big fan over here because it was just such an honor to connect during that time of 2020 when we did via TikTok. It wasn't anything like professional. It was just casual, like the yeah. comments. And then just seeing you where you are now, it's like, ah, but okay. So now let's, let's really get into the conversation because that's why we're here. Not just to bond, but to really talk about cultura and cash, everything behind it, why you did it. And I feel the best way to get that started with is a double question that you can answer in any way you want. Okay. So numero uno, mm -hmm. what inspired you to write cultura and cash? And numero dos, why first gen content? Gotcha. Okay. So why Cultura and Cash? Um, basically from my own experience from reading so many financial books and learning a lot about finances that way, but um, see, miss, seeing that there was a gap in what I wasn't learning and that was I wasn't learning how to navigate money with my family in mind, you know, because us as Latine, like our money experience is always going to be tied to our family because we're very family oriented. And for us, it's important to, you know, give back or support in whatever way we can. Uh, and none of those money books talked about that, you know, so here I was left with, with no tools on how to navigate money with family. And what ended up happening was I had a lot of challenges trying to implement this white male advice that I learned from these white male books um, that just did not work well at all with my Mexican family. <laughs> so that's why I decided to write the book, Cultura um, and Cash. I'm like, this angle is needed. It's missing in the market and it affects a lot of first-gen Latinas or other first-generation Americans. You know, obviously we all have our different nuances, but if you're a first-generation Filipina, uh, first-generation Nigerian, like there's, there's still a difference in culture there that you kind of have to learn how to balance. So that was the reason why. And then in regards to why first-gen content, 
Uh, I have a video on that on on TikTok that got a lot of views because it resonated with a lot of people. Um, the video goes, when I told my aunt I was going to make a TikTok account about first gen content, she asked me, why first gen? Why not just make the content for everybody? Because everybody could use help. And I said, these are the three reasons why I make content specifically for the first gen community. Reason number one, we're the first ones to navigate academia all on our own, right? So we can't get any guidance or support from our family because they've never been in those spaces. And that presents a lot of barriers, right, to first-generation college students. Number two, um, we're the first to be in professional corporate settings. Uh, Both my parents worked more like minimum wage jobs where they weren't exposed to uh, having to negotiate your job offer or getting benefits, like a benefits package. So these are all things that were new to me. And again, my my parents couldn't give me that guidance. And then lastly, reason number three is because we're the first ones to have the opportunity to build wealth because our parents really were just living in survival mode, being immigrants in a new country, just trying to get by. But um, with the opportunity they gave us to be able to live a better life by going to college, getting a nicer job, we have the opportunity to build wealth, but we don't have the skills because, again, they never had those skills because they, ne- they never it was never accessible to them to have the ability to build wealth. So, again, I, I saw that there was a gap and that people like me <laughs> were being forgotten. And I'm like, uh, no more of that. We're taking care of that. <laughs> no, definitely. And thank you so much for sharing all of that and the transparency because I also remember when I saw that video. I think I, I definitely saw it more than a couple of times. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I want to take a two two steps back where you mentioned perfectly this package, this package you would get in your corporate job and things like that. It's like, how do I navigate? How this, how that? Yeah. And the reason why I love that you bring that up is because you literally have it in your book, which is a perfect transition for this next topic. So one of the sections that really stood out to me in your book, alongside the other parts, Mm -hmm. is a different starting line. It's on page 20 of Cultura and Cash. And as I kept going forward, I saw that the example that you use as the first gen Gina, mm. she she came across the 401k, like all that, right? <laughs> yeah. And she didn't know what to do. Yeah. So I just, I want to go ahead and tr- like really transition to that and hear more about it. It's just like, like, I don't know, like what inside of you and with your creativity was just like, this needs to be in the book yeah. because this is what first gen struggle with. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what's very different about my book than other traditional personal finance books. Other books will go straight into the ABCs of how to manage money. So they'll start telling you this is how you build savings. This is how you pay off your debt. This is how you start a budget. And all that stuff is great. And we need to learn that, right? But I knew that to really serve my reader, I had to first address uh, the, the challenges that that we that are unique to our community so that we're aware of them and can navigate them better. And then towards the end of the book, I give you the ABCs that everybody else teaches, right? So uh, I thought it was very important for me to share that our starting line as first gen is very different. Some people say that as first gen, we start at zero. I argue that as first gen, we start in the negative <laughs> because like starting at zero means that you don't have debt, but a lot of us have to go into debt to even go to college. I know I had student loans. I had a car loan because I needed a car to get to school and to get to work. So, you know, it, we have a different starting line when we have 
debt. I had debt since I was 17 years old, you know, compare that to more privileged people who they maybe have access to more resources. Maybe they have parents that helped them pay for college or gave them their first car or helped them pay for their first car. They're just further up ahead in their money journey. So for example, when they do start making their corporate job, any money is for them, right? For them to start building wealth, for them to start investing. And that wasn't my experience at all. Like at first, all my money was going to my debt. And it was really hard to get by with an entry-level salary uh, in LA where I lived at the time. I lived in Pasadena. So it was very important for me to bring awareness to the different starting line because I felt that graduating from college gave me a false sense of security I thought, you know, I did this hard thing that nobody in my family's ever done. I'm set and I'm going to be in the equal playing field like everybody else. And, you know, although, of course, my education gave me access uh, to open doors that my family never had access to, um, I still, again, was with these people that had had so much more privilege, you know, whether it was financial privilege or institutional knowledge that their parents shared with them. And um, that really was was a rude awakening when I when I learned like wow some people have their parents encourage them to negotiate their first salary or their their salaries as they're going up. Some people have parents that tell them no you need to fight for that promotion. My parents my parents if anything they're like you stay quiet, you work hard, you put your head down and hard work is you know hard work never goes unnoticed. You know hard work speaks for itself. And that's actually not how corporate America works at all. You actually have to self-advocate. So, so yeah, there's just a lot of unspoken rules. And I think it was important for me to convey that through these three characters. Because that, that was a hard part. I'm like, how do I share with others that our starting line is different without sounding bitter? <laughs> without sounding bitter and without just like sharing a bunch of statistics. So that's how I thought of the idea of creating these three archetypes. So we have Privilege Patty. Uh, average Ashley and first gen Gina, right? So uh, every you, you go through the life experience of those three characters from the moment that their childhood to life post college, and you see how different uh, their experience was with learning about money at home, or learning about how to navigate college, or learning how to navigate their first corporate job. And um, if you're first-gen Latina, you should resonate a lot with first-gen Gina because that's very much our experience. And, you know, for me, it was it was hard to write the privileged Patty and the average Amy stuff because that's not me, right? Like, I don't have that lived experience. So I actually had to interview a bunch of my friends who are those in real-life privileged Patties and average Ashleys. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, 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 and they're my good friends. You know, just because they have more privilege doesn't mean that they're bad people, right? But it's just important to point those differences out so that we're aware of them and you really use that um, to fuel us to really take action with our finances. Because, again, if you think you're in the same playing field, you're just like, oh, like, I'll take care of my money later. But the moment that you realize that you're actually behind – it hopefully encourages you to take action. No, of course. Thank okay. you so much for sharing all of that. And the reason why I'm very grateful for it, and I know so many of your readers, listeners, and watchers are too, is because a lot of us as first gen, even though I'm someone that makes content primarily to motivate first gen scholars, it's just the first gen journey doesn't stop 
after college. Like mm-hmm. it keeps going the first to like everything. Mm-hmm. So that's why, again, I emphasize your book is so important. Anybody that's first gen or can honestly even relate to the first gen experience needs to read it, which is why I want it's the perfect transition to the next question. How did you stay disciplined and persistent during the writing process? Yeah, there's a couple ways. Um, the biggest way by far was by hiring a book coach because there's a lot of self-doubt when you're writing a book and your book coach is the one that helps you overcome those mental blocks. So having a person that's experienced and that has written books herself, has been an editor, has helped many authors help me go through the process. If I, I know for a fact if I would have done it alone, I would have gotten stuck and it happens to a lot of people. Um, the other thing that helped me stay disciplined and on track was I had to really cut back on work. Um, right now it's January of 2024. I have been saying no to speaking engagements since August of 2022. That's a long time. That's, a, that's what is that, a year and a half. And I've said no. I've gotten a lot of inquiries because people find me on social media and they're like, can you come and you know give a workshop? And I'm like, I'd love to, but I'm working on a book. Let's stay in touch. I have done very limited speaking when it's like, you know, opportunities that are, that are hard to say no to, then I will take them. But the majority of them, I say, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, in the middle of writing a book, I don't have capacity. And I had to set those boundaries um, with my work in order for me to create the space that I needed to write consistently, because to really be able to complete a book. It's not about writing once or twice a week. You really need to be writing at least five times a week. Um, and, and yeah, if I was going to have to be traveling for work, for speaking, or even the energy that goes into speaking, it was going to take energy that I could be using towards writing. So that was huge. And then, uh, lastly, this was key and I had no idea how important this was going to be for me to stay on task was creating a routine. So Literally, I was, it was Groundhog Day every day, <laughs> like, like the same thing. And, and if it, and if it, whenever I was thrown off from my routine, my writing would be thrown off. So I learned that it just had to be consistent and what that looked like for me. And it'll look different for every person because it depends on your energy levels. You know, some people can, can be very inspired to write in the morning. That wasn't me. I did my best work in the afternoon after lunch. So uh, what my day looked like is I'd wake up walk the dog, have breakfast, shower, maybe do some a little administrative work, and then I'd have lunch, and then I would head off to write. So I'd write from like 1 o'clock to 2.30 or 3, depending on how much writing I did that day. But yeah, sticking to – and then go home. Go home and enjoy the rest of my day. Uh, but that was key in me being able to actually be consistent and showing up every day. I also wanted to share for anybody that's wondering, wait, so she stopped – speaking, how is she making money? Um, So another stream of income for me as a content creator is uh, working as an influencer. So doing brand deals. So thank goodness for my brand deals, because that's what kept the lights on during that year and a half that I was saying no to speaking work. Uh, And the good thing about brand work is you don't travel for that, right? You do that from your comfort of your own home. It's very much project-based, you know, so, and they're flexible with timelines. And it's, it's just not as demanding as it is to show up for a speaking event. So, so yeah, that's that for me, that's, I had the, 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 I had the fortune to be able to still work in some capacity, but in a capacity where it still saved my energy for writing. No, of course. Again, thank you so much for this. Cause it really makes a difference and just breaks down everything. So 
In regards to working, putting in the work to transition to the next question. Now, I know a lot of us as first gen or those that relate to the first gen experience, working, just working, working hard is like, it's almost seen as a badge of honor, like one of the biggest mm-hmm. badges of honor we can mm-hmm, have coming from our background. Yeah. And if we're not working those crazy hours, it can we start to feel a sense of guilt. And when it comes to first-gen guilt, it just, it hurts. It hurts, especially with the type of background we're raised and the new individualistic values and practices we're trying to lead with while keeping our own cholesterol collectivistic values in this whole country and things like that which then I feel transitions best to this next part it's it's a it's I paraphrase it from your book I would feel guilty for not being more giving and would cave to the pressure of just to appease my family and this statement is so real and it it's so vulnerable and it had me reflecting as a first gen to the point where I was like, I would cry a lot. I would cry a lot because first-gen guilt is real, whether it's like you're overworking a lot or it's just you work, you're doing all these cool things, but unless you give back, like, why are you doing it? Like, the yeah. point of you working hard is to give back. So I will turn it back over to you so you could share whatever else you feel is right for this statement. Yeah, I mean... um, those were my thoughts then, right? So I shared how I felt then because I know that's very much where my reader is now. Now, as I've um, you know lived longer and gone through stuff, had different life experiences, I've learned that it's it's not selfish to prioritize myself and that you can't pour out of an empty cup and that you do have to put your oxygen mask on first before you help others. And that's not what we're conditioned to do as Latinas uh, with Marianismo, we're very much taught to be self-sacrificing. And, you know, I always think about my grandma, my grandma who did all the cooking, right? Like, let's say it was Christmas, did all the cooking for Christmas, you know, was in the kitchen all day working. And then she was the last one to eat, which it doesn't make sense, right? You know, because uh, she had to make sure everybody ate first. And then finally, because again, you're taught to self-sacrifice. And I'm just so proud of, of modern Latinas who are rejecting that, right? Rejecting that machismo, the Marianismo, and saying, no, like we're we're people too. And the men have to do the work too, right? Like they're they're our partners. We're we're equal partners. So so yeah, so I, I really struggle with that when I was younger in the sense of of a feeling that I had to give back even when I wasn't financially prepared to do so. Like I didn't have any savings. I had a ton of debt. Um, and if any emergencies happened, there was nobody to bail me out because everybody else was broke. My family was broke. Right. So I learned eventually I had to get myself on a solid foundation first before I could offer help to other people. And that's what I hope, um, my reader takes away from this, you know, that prioritizing your finances is, not selfish. It's an act of self-love and self-respect for yourself. And if it's important for you to give back to family, let's craft a way to do that without you getting into debt or without you getting yourself into a bigger hole. You know, so that's why a lot of the chapters have parts on how can you factor your family into your budget? How can you have an emergency fund for your parents so that if their fridge gives out and they need a new fridge, you don't have to dip into your own emergency fund. There's a separate emergency fund just for them. So again, these are all topics that were never addressed in traditional money books because it was always about your own experience. They never talked about money with family. And again, 
us as Latine, Mexicans, money is very communal. So, so again, I was left with no tools to manage money with my family and, and it was really hard. So, um, and then lastly, to close on the topic of first gen guilt, I briefly addressed it in the book. I didn't want to get too into it because it's definitely a topic that's outside of my area of expertise that very much needs to be addressed through like a licensed therapist that can help you, you know, uh, navigate those emotions because they're valid emotions, right? It's, some people call it survivor's remorse. I think I've heard it called um, as well. Uh, first gen guilt. What does Alejandra Campoverde call it? She calls it, do you remember her? Have you read her book? I have. I'm halfway, halfway. Yeah. She, she calls it something else. Uh, I forget what the term she uses, but the one I'm most familiar with is first gen guilt. But um yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think first acknowledge that it's normal to feel that way, especially when you're having cool experiences that you know your parents or grandparents never had the opportunity to do. But you also need to recognize that they always knew that was the plan. The plan was for them to come here and for the children to have a better life. So by you living a better life, you're honoring what your parents immigrated to this country for, right? And I know that can be a hard pill to swallow because you love your parents or your extended family and you want them to tr to thrive with you too. So what I also teach my reader is, you know, if, if you're like, oh, like my, my aunt, my mom's never going to get to experience Paris, let's come up with a plan where maybe you start putting money aside and maybe it is going to take two years, but in two years you can afford to fly your mom with you to Paris, right? Don't charge her on a credit card now because you feel guilt and you need to do it right now. No, it takes time. Right. So, so there's, there's ways to kind of navigate that financially by, by planning, but mentally it's very much something that should be addressed with a mental health professional. No, of course. And thank you so much for all of this. It's just, it's, it's, sorry, like I just remembered Alejandra calls it breakaway guilt, breakaway guilt, first gen guilt, survivor's remorse. Those are the terms for that emotion that you're talking about. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm jotting down. Like, I know you can see me just like that's mm -hmm. because I'm jotting down and reading. <laughs> so thank you. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a perfect transition to one of our next questions. How do you want readers to feel when they read Cultura and Cash? I want them to feel seen. I want them to feel heard. I want them to know like, okay, I'm not the only one that deals with this. There's a whole community of people that face similar challenges to me. And I find that very comforting, especially when you find those people, whether it's in person or in digital communities, because then you're able to support each other and help each other out, give each other advice, right? As opposed to being surrounded by people who don't share that experience. And maybe they did have a little bit more privilege and it's just hard to relate to. So, so yeah, I hope, um, you know, some of the books that I read made me feel very alienated. Um, they would talk about, um, this is what you do when you get an inheritance. At least this is how you manage an inheritance. And I'm like, what inheritance? Like there's literally zero inheritance coming my way. Um, or some of the financial podcasts I will listen to would say, they would have listener questions and the, the question would say, oh, uh, I'm 32 years old and I just bought my first home. And this is the first time that I've had debt because my parents, you know, were um, kind enough to, you know, buy me my car and my pay for my education. But now that I'm a homeowner, I am just so overwhelmed by the debt. And, and how do I manage 
this feeling of, of being overwhelmed by debt. And I'm just like, girl, please. Like I've had debt since I was 17, you know? So again, it's like so unrelatable uh, or, or similar back to the inheritance. Oh, you know, I, uh, can you, can you help me? I just inherited a hundred thousand dollar inheritance from my grandma. And I'm so stressed because I don't know what to do with it. Should I invest it? Should I pay off my mortgage? And I'm like, those are some nice problems to have <laughs> You know, that you're stressed about how to spend a hundred thousand dollars. So, so yeah, those are not, those don't reflect our experiences. So I wanted to make a book that did reflect what our money experience is like to um, make the reader feel seen, heard, and understood, and to most importantly inspire action. Not you know not just to like make you feel sad or oh bummed because we have it so hard. Our journey is a little bit more difficult. I'm not gonna lie because we don't have that privilege like others do. But we're more than capable. We're very resilient. We're very gritty. But we just need to be equipped with the awareness. We need to unlearn harmful money narratives, and then we need to put in the work to um, improve our finances. No, of course. Thank you so much, Gigi. We we just appreciate all of this. Now, moving forward, because oh, sorry, I keep my eyes. These are good questions. Watery. I love questions. <laughs> Thank you. It's because I really sat down and wrote them and thought about them, and like I keep my eyes closed a lot because I I cry. I'm very emotional, okay. so that's why I'm like, all right, I'm here. It's I a love safe it. Space. Like. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I just, I know your book, it was just always needed. So now let's, let's keep talking about it, but more in the sense where the, you came out with the book, Cultura and Cash. And obviously you went through the process of deciding, okay, who am I going to have to write me book blurbs, da, 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 that one thing <laughs> led to another. <laughs> and you had the wonderful Miss Eva Langoria. Mm-hmm. I want to turn that back to you. Share everything and anything. I watched and rewatched because I wanted the engagement to go up a lot. You're Eva Lingoria. Yeah. Real. So yeah. take it away, Gigi. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So um, for those that don't know, uh, Eva Longoria did endorse my book. I actually have the book right here. Her blurb uh, says, Cultura and Cash empowers you to improve your relationship with money in an authentic and relatable way. A much-needed resource for our comunidad. Bravo, Gigi. <laughs> My heart. <laughs> and then it says Eva Longoria. Um, and, you know, I think to a lot of people, they see that and they think, wow, that's cool, right? Because she's a leader in our community. She's an A-list celebrity. But it especially means a lot to me because I've been an Eva super fan for 15 years. I've I've liked her since Desperate Housewives. And then I believe in 2013 when she got her master's in Chicano studies, that's when I really was like, this woman is it. Like she, she's not just about, you know, being with the Hollywood rich people. She also is about uplifting her community, using her platform uh, and her stardom to do good for, for our community. And, you know, she's a Mexican-American like you and I are, so obviously very easy to relate to. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about the the journey to Eva is I think what you're asking me, like, how does somebody get Eva Longoria to endorse her book, right? <laughs> so um, to be honest, when I won the grant. So, so anybody that doesn't know, I won a $50,000 grant to write this book. The grant was sponsored by TikTok, Macro, and Unbelievable. Unbelievable is Eva Longoria's production company. So when I won the grant, or actually when I pitched the, when I, when I made my pitch, part of my pitch video was, oh, if I win this grant, then I'll get to have Eva at my book launch party. And I put like a little, uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's, I'm like, and then I put a girl can dream, I put it or whatever. Uh, so obviously that was always in my mind, like, wow, if I win, 
there's a possibility that Eva could be, could no lie exist, right? And then of course, when the winners were selected and then the winners were announced, she for sure knew I exist because um, her, I know she doesn't run her social media account, but on her account, on uh, they posted all the winners. So my my face, my bio was on Eva Longoria's page. So for me, that was like, wow, she knows I exist. That's so cool. Um, so that was like a big moment of it all. The fact that I won this huge grant for this project that I knew was going to make an impact in the community, but then also that it was tied to a woman that I admire so much. So when it came to the blur process, the way that you're supposed to work on it is you're supposed to reach out to influential women, uh, that your reader would know, you know? So I started, uh, drafting up names of, and, and I'm, very thankful that I'm connected to a lot of these wonderful Latina women already, right? So a lot of them, honestly, I think I reached out to 15 women, only one uh, said no. And it wasn't even a no. It was like, I don't have time because she was getting married, which is totally fair, right? But everybody else, I was so surprised, was quick to say yes. And I think that's because I'm, I, I nurture relationships. You know, I don't just come around when I need something. I'm very kind. I'm very giving. I hype other women up and, and I don't do it to kiss ass. I do it because I'm genuinely happy for them. And I think people know that. So those were easy, right? The, the, the women that I have, um, you know, access to via text message or DMs or whatnot. Eva Longoria, obviously. <laughs> I don't have, you know, her, her, I can't call her up and ask her. So because she did have, again, this involvement with the grant, that was my in. That was my in. So I asked, um, I was assigned to Macro. I actually had asked TikTok to assign me to Unbelievable because I wanted to be close to the Unbelievable team, but my request was denied. That's another story. <laughs> so I'm like, that's fine. I'll stay with Macro. And Macro was great. They were they were great mentors. But um, yeah, when it was time to solicit that blurb, I said, Macro, um, I would it would be a dream come true if Eva can support my project with the blurb. Can you connect me to her team? They immediately said, yeah, let's do it. They connected me to the team. And her team was very receptive. Um, I will say, though, there was a lot of, this isn't the sort of thing that's like, oh, yeah, sure, here's a blurb. There was a lot of vetting. A lot of vetting, which people might not think about, um, but it's very necessary, right? Because she's an important leader in our community. She's a very well-known name, so she can't just lend her name out to anybody. So there was a lot of red tape and vetting involved, as there should be. And then finally, after going through all the hoops, I got my blurb. <laughs> I got my blurb, yes. Yeah, so so I'm, just, I'm just so honored, and I still can't believe it happened, honestly. I can't believe this is my life. Well, you better believe it because you just, again, you were just meant for this. It's like, I've always been a firm believer that everything that happens, it's not accidental. Like we are where we're at for a reason. Yeah. And you are exact, especially because you have such wonderful morals. Like you know how to work, but it's your morals, your morals Thank you. that I appreciate put that. you to stand out. And yeah. people see that. Even if you think we don't see it, we see it. Yeah. It's just, I wanted to throw that out there. Now, from your book, Getting Eva to Endorse It, the next thing I want to talk about that Cultura and Cash was able to do was become a podcast. And okay, <laughs> I heard two episodes. I still need to hear the other one because I, I'm, subs I, well, I was in Mexico, first of all, for like two and a half yeah. weeks. I didn't have service, yeah, but yeah. that's why I haven't heard the other ones, but I'm going to hear them. Yeah. So I love it. I'm not just saying that as your amiga, like it's just <laughs> so good. And you have like, <laughs> you have the perfect podcast voice. It's I know. Just, 
Okay, so I'm going to throw it back to you. Say whatever you would like about your podcast. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, so yeah, I recently introduced people to my podcast, Cultura en Cash, which is the same name as my book. And it really is an extension of my book, you know, because with the book, I'm like, okay, what's next, right? And I'm like, I think a podcast is next. It's a more intimate way to connect with my readers, with my community. And, you know, these algorithms be algorithming, you know, and they don't show you your videos. You work so hard. We work so hard on our videos to like not get any views. And um, I'm an avid podcast listener. So I know I'm loyal to my people. So I'm like, if, if you put out good content, people will consistently show up and look for you to listen to your to your content. Uh, I love to talk. I never shut up. Just like you. I know you, you talk a lot. <laughs> We're very chatty people. So, so honestly, a podcast is just uh, a natural progression uh, in my content creator career. And um, for anybody that's wondering what the podcast is about, it's a little bit of everything. Um At first, it'll start out as more of a a place where we dive deeper into the topics of the book, you know, because there's only so much I could write in the book, but I can expand on all those topics uh, on the podcast. I can also answer listener questions. So people that have read the books and submit those questions, I can answer those questions. I can also give some behind the scenes of stuff I wanted to share on the book, but I couldn't legally, you know, so, so that'll be fun. Um, so yeah, it'll be a lot about the book. Uh, of course, as a financial educator, I'll also be sharing, um, financial education. So I'll either, I'll do solo episodes where I'm talking about, uh, budgeting or building savings, all these fun things that I like to talk about either by myself or I will have, uh, another, uh, content creator friend or influencer, uh, to have that conversation together. And there's a lot of topics that I'm not the expert on to, you know, believe it or not. So for example, real estate, uh, is something people ask me about a lot. I'm 34 years old and I'm still renting and that's by choice. I like to rent because it allows me to live a freer lifestyle. And people are always like, can you, what about like a down payment? How do you do this? How do you apply for that? And I'm like, I am not your girl, (laughs) but uh, again, I'm connected to a wonderful network of, of financial educators. So I'm looking forward to bringing those people on and, and, and asking them how do, what is the first process in the, in the home buying, the first step in the home buying process, right? Because these are the people that are experts. Another topic that I'm not an expert in, but I have the perfect guests, future guests in mind is credit repair. So I'm really good at credit building. I can teach you how to build your credit, keep it clean. But when you've harmed it so much, because, you know, you know, it happens. You, you don't know how credit cards work. You know, maybe there was a bankruptcy involved, whatever it is, delinquent accounts, right? I, I'm not an expert at that, but guess who is? My friend Marquia, you know, so and she loves talking about it. So I'm really, really looking forward to, to sharing um, more financial knowledge on the podcast. And then I'll also sprinkle a little bit of, um, you know, my, my life as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, somebody just asked me, can you make an episode about your Spanish journey? I said, absolutely. Right. Because I did that one hour webinar and people are like, how did you make that happen? Especially when they knew that my Spanish wasn't my best at the time. So, so yeah, so just a little bit of everything, but, but mostly focusing on, on those contents, the book and financial education and uh, a little bit of behind the scenes of what I do as a content creator. No, of course. Thank you so much for all of this. Now, because as you know, I love to chat. I literally can still keep you here and want to keep talking (laughs) because like the vibe is so good. But 
our episode. It, oh, we're running out of time, but it's okay. It's okay because we want to leave our listeners wanting more Good. so they can follow you, subscribe to your podcast, buy your book. So before we start to trickle away, I'm going to go ahead and turn the mic back over to you so you can share where everyone can find you, where you can, where they can buy your book. Tola Cosa, go ahead and take your time because this time is for you. Yeah, of course. So if you want to learn more about my book or if you want to buy it, you can visit culturaandcash.com. It's available at all major online retailers. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, bookshop.org, IndieBound, all those good uh, online retailers. And they're all linked on that website, culturaandcash.com. Um, it has a lot of info about the book that you won't see on the listing of Amazon, for example. Um, you can also have your local bookstore Uh, if you rather shop small, you can have them order it. It is available for them to order it. Um, or you can request it from your local library so that you get to read it for free. Uh, and let's see, if you want to follow my accounts, I'm on TikTok, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And all those links are on my website, thefirstgenmentor.com. Of course. Well, thank you so much, mi gente, for tuning in. Please don't forget to subscribe to Cafecito con Estrellita on any platform you're using right now to listen to your podcast. Cuídense y hablamos pronto. Adiós.